0: Welcome to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Kranz and this show is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. I would like to thank Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. St. Croix, the best rods on earth and daiwa they've got your bass covered. My first guest this week is Dan Johnston. We're talking about learning how to use a bait before you give up on it the process that you should go through. Listen to that, very interesting from Dan. And then I have Ken Duke, editor of Fish Insider. And he, to me, is all things bass fishing. He's gonna talk about the state of the bass fishing world, whether that's tournaments, fun fishing, listen to what Ken has to say. And then the muskie hunter himself, Jim Sarek. Jim's gonna tell us about what's going on with muskie hunter and in his life, but first, I wanna remind everybody that this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth, and I'd like to welcome back Dan Johnston. How you doing, Dan? Hey Dave, I'm good. You know, I, I have a lot of people come into my store and they've they uh they bought a lot of different baits for me and they'll come in and say, Yeah, I bought that new crankbait or buzzbait or stick bait and I went down to the lake, I threw it a few times, I didn't catch anything on it. What what else you got that's new, but maybe the the uh uh, the response to them would be learn how to throw that bait because at the right time of year, it can do really good for you. And I, I did this years ago where I, to learn how to do a technique, I would go to a pond and that's, I would take one bait and I would just throw it till my arms came off. I'm sure you've probably done something similar.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah a lot. I do a couple different ways, but I think, you know, back to your original point, you know, that, he or she may be throwing that bait at the wrong time or in a fishery that doesn't have anything that looks like what they're throwing that they're feeding on and keyed on or so understanding that first obviously is critical. And, but yeah, I I mean, I, you know, it jogs my memory. I mean, I'm working on glide baits and hover rigs really, really, really hard right now. Like stupid hard, like dropping different hover rig presentations into a bathtub Mm -hmm. to watch the angle and how they sit. And, but I remember a few years ago, when the big Mega Bass 110 thing was on fire, I mean, I, I was I was pretty good with it, but I was like, man, there's guys I'm with that are really, really, really good. So, you know, of course, the way to get good is to go out and do just that. Um, but I would say a couple of things. Go out when the, with that bait and a lot of baits. Go out when the water's clear. If and in subsurface, you can see it. Um, and instead of just taking one rod, I might take five or six. Because think of the challenge that I have with St. Croix is we have – glass we have carbon fibers and different strains Then we have the new material called iact which is both so that can affect bait cadences a stick bait on a pull how hard that thing pulls in the water obviously in 45 degree water we don't want a jerk bait moving like a shad would in 70 degree water so to be able to see that underwater and watch what it does even though i'm not going to get a bite It tells me a lot, or if I go with a different hook size or gauge or a stick weight on that jerkbait with a certain type line, what's that going to do to the sink rate, and how's it going to angle the nose when I leave it still? And if you can see it, it's it's a big, big deal. So I I spent a, I can't tell you how many hours messing with that, with both the 110 size and the junior size, uh, and really got... Got it pretty dialed on what line, what rod, what hooks, where I'm putting those little storm weights. If if I even do that, and all those things to the point. Now that if I go out and it's windy or cloudy or the water's a little off color, I don't have to see it because I spent hours and hours watch that thing in clear water. So to, to the point of this topic, yes, if you really want to get good at a bait, fall in love with it. I remember watching Jacob Wheeler skip a buzz bait one time, and I remember I literally left my office. And I, I was so frustrated watching him. I left my office and went down to my lake until I figured out how to do that. And I'm 1% as good as he is at it, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. Because <laughs> I, I, I just I, I went all in to try to figure out how to do that. And man, does it give you confidence when you actually put it into play.
0: Yeah, and it, you went and you practiced, it, and I think that's that's the key. So many people go and they switch out of a bait so fast. Oh, three, four, five cast, I didn't get hit on that. Let's see if they'll hit something else. And most of the time, it's not the bait. It's the presentation. It's the fact, like you said, whether that fish is there to be caught. Is it the right time of year? Is the water temperature right? There's a lot of other variables. But what we're both talking about is making sure you are very good at throwing that bait how it's supposed to be presented because at some point during your fishing career it will be the bait and they will be hitting on a stick bait or they will be hitting on a buzz bait or they will be you know whatever it is hitting that jig or crankbait but if you don't know how it looks in the water and you don't know how it feels when it looks like that it's hard to learn the product
1: I think it, I think it definitely helps, you know, and and I would also add, you know, in defense of all the listeners out there, and I would speak on behalf of myself too, we all have our wheelhouse comfortable zones in fishing. We have those two, three baits, whatever it is we're fishing for, we call our go-to's and that's great because usually we get pretty good at them. We catch a lot of fish on them and that's great. But what I've learned more and more over the years is that I have go-to baits now I didn't know I had because they do bite them. I just wasn't really adept on presentation, the right line, the right carbon fiber in the rod, the right length, the right cadence. And when you really dial in, some of those baits have turned now into some of my go-tos, which they were not. I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I struggled catching a fish on a bladed jig for two or three years. Yeah, I caught them, but not like a lot of guys do. Until I fished with guys that were really, really good at it, started messing with trailers, lines, rods, cadences, um, and all those things. To now, it is a hundred percent right behind the little finesse jig it's my number two in all scenarios and it didn't used to be even in my top 10 because i wasn't consistent with it and that that applies to crappies like dock shooting for example i mean i can't tell you how many pop cans i've shot in my living room with that hook bent down (laughs) thousands of times you know literally thousands of times and and then when you go out and you put it into play you know exactly how that jig is going to react um you like raise the rod tip to level the line out, it goes back in there and you're just you're it's a same it's like anything we do. If we if we practice it and prepare and rehearse it, when the lights come on, all of a sudden you're just you're better at it.
0: Yep. I I, I you said that about the popkin. I had the vision of me with my flipping stick and uh and a little uh, butter tub sitting in the in the living room and and pitching and flipping to it you know and practicing and practicing and practicing i i always said yep i'm getting like free throws i'm eight out of ten or whatever and then but but you get to a point where you know putting it into a f- foreign circle um it is good because if you're shooting for a basketball that foreign circle you're hitting that basketball size every time so always set up a target smaller than you want if you were to put a big old you know, two-liter pop thing out there would have been a lot different than a twelve-ounce can. You, you're hitting that zone where you need to hit. Uh, always use a smaller
1: target, I guess, is what I'm saying because you'll get better if you do. That's true with archery or guns or casting or anything. It's called we call it picking a spot. You know, instead of shooting for a general area, you're putting a little tiny sticker on the, on the target. And you're trying to get that sticker, and when you miss it, you're only an inch off. You know, but to the topic of learning a bait well and sticking with it, I think the the first point you made is a really good one. And go out sometime with just that bait, fish it the whole day you're out there. And what you're going to find out is that buzz bait or that bladed jig or that little jig or whatever you're throwing, number one, it'll catch them in a lot more scenarios than you originally thought. Because usually you're just kind of prone to hearing what everybody has said as this bladed jig is relatively cold water around bluegill beds it's appendages on 20 pound floral therefore that's all i'm gonna do well there's a lot more you can do with it if if you start playing with different scenarios what the fish you're feeding on fishing it at different depths messing with the head sizes is huge you know jackie z-man right now i'm using it all the way from the mini max all the way to the to the half ounce a lot um in different scenarios where before it was just one three-eighths ounce jackhammer with a Yamamoto Zeko. It's all I did. And now it's just, it's, I think the point is be really creative with that one bait and go out and spend a ton of time with it. And I, more times than not, you're going to really find you fall in love with it.
0: Oh, I think so. And I think once you have that discipline and you know how that how to control that bait, that equals confidence. And when you have confidence in the bait, we both know what that equals, more fish, It 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 works. Just practice it, try it, just do it with one bait. And then, you know, you're going to say, okay, Dan and Dave weren't giving me bad information. We only try to give you good information. Uh, And that's why I have Dan Johnson on every week, because he gives us the best information that's out there, I believe. Thank you very much, Dan.
1: Well, it's humbling, Dave, but everything I know and everything I will learn, which is a ton, all comes from me stealing from other people. I take no credit. I just happen to be 56 years old. So I've learned a little bit from people that know a lot more than I do.
0: Thank you. There is a benefit, and I learned from people that are a lot younger than me, as you do. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Kranz, and this segment is always brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. For over 75 years here at St. Croix, we believe every angler deserves the best fishing experience possible in being equipped and prepared for the moment opportunity strikes. You can only provide control if you are in control. Our legacy is being written every day, with decisions today determining our successes tomorrow. We value contributions and successes of all individuals, protecting and preserving the things that matter most, taking care of people like family, the persistent pursuit of perfection. St. Croix.
2: Daiwa, MagForce Z, similar design to our SV system. Rules with MagForce Z excel when it comes to casting control while fishing bigger, heavier baits. Our standard reels have a fixed rotor on the spool, meaning the braking pressure is consistent across the entirety of the cast. MacForce 4 z incorporates a spool that has a dynamic rotor that can adjust out and back from the spool. This gives you maximum control and casting precision. Daiwa!
3: I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, Tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move pitch them in the trash do your part and join me visit keepamericafishing.org and pledge to pitch it
0: welcome back to the we fish asa podcast i am dave kranz this segment is brought to you by calcutta an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors My next guest certainly has a passion for the outdoors and the outdoor industry. He has been on many times before. He is Ken Duke. He is Editor-in-Chief for Fish Insider, and I consider him to be the foremost expert on all things bass fishing. In my circles, the people I know, if I want to talk about bass fishing, it's going to be with Ken Duke. Welcome back to the program, Ken.
3: Wow, Dave, you're putting a lot of pressure on me, man. I appreciate appreciate the
0: accolades, but I'm not sure I can live up to all that. Oh, no, no pressure at all. So, uh, you know, I fish bass, you fish bass. You've worked in the bass industry forever. You've worked in the fishing industry. Uh, You know, where, you know, where was it? Where is it? And where do you think it's going to go to? That's kind of what I want to cover a little bit today. But um, what is your opinion? I know you always have one about the world of bass fishing
3: oh you know that's that's a massive question you're asking me my friend um here's here's the situation with bass fishing in my opinion um in a lot of ways i would argue that professional bass fishing the guys who are out there fishing the tournament trails and so forth has not moved forward more than a few inches since ray scott held his first tournament in 1967 these guys are still fishing for their own money yep uh the entry fee to prize money ratio is roughly the same as it's always been, and um, they're they're fighting for opportunities with marketing and advertising and sponsorship. Um, the pie, uh, the amount of resources and sponsorship money and so forth that these guys are fighting for, has not really grown significantly through the years. It's 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 upgraded proportionately as the economy has. Has upgraded, but uh, the number of guys fighting for it has increased dramatically. So, if you imagine a, a pie sitting on a kitchen table, uh, there hasn't been any more pie put on the table, but there are a lot more forks than there <laughs> have ever been. Um, I would say that with regard to the sport as a just a general participatory thing, uh, you know, I, I would say that that bass fishing as a participatory sport may have peaked. In the late eighties, early nineties. And mm-hmm. we've only recently seen a resurgence in the sport in the last, let's say, three or four years, when we've seen a significant or a notable increase in the number of licensed purchased. But but believe it or not, between about nineteen ninety one and about two thousand nineteen or twenty, the number of anglers in America, licensed anglers in America, was actually dipping. Yeah. Not only not keeping up with population growth, but but declining. And, uh, one thing I can tell you, because I, I, I look at all these numbers as often as I, as I can, and refresh myself, but if you look at the, uh, United States Fish and Wildlife Service surveys that have been going on, um, for a long while now, I mean, for, for decades and decades, uh, the number of, of licensed anglers who identify as bass fishing has actually declined as a percentage, uh, in our lifetimes, uh, whereas it used to be 14, 15%, now it's now it's down around ten percent. So um, bass fishing, you, know, you, you you listen to everybody talk, especially a lot of the younger guys who really don't have a historical perspective on it, and you'll hear them talk about, well, you know, bass fishing's never been bigger. And I don't know why I drop into that stupid voice whenever <laughs> I I mimic folks like that, but but I it's a bad habit. But they'll say, Oh, you know, bass fishing's never been bigger. Well, that's not that's not really true. Uh there are a lot more bass boats being built uh thirty years ago yeah. than there are today. Mm-hmm. Uh so Where is bass fishing? Um, It's still still a thing. It's still my hobby. It's still my passion. Um, But there's a a lot of reason for concern. Uh, I think our biggest need in the world of bass fishing is to grow the sport. We've been really challenged to do that through the decades.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think uh, that pie on the kitchen table is... um, you got more people, more forks going after it. But do you think there's some less dollars there because of the consolidation of these companies into mega companies?
3: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there, there, that is a problem. Uh, the economy is always a problem. You know, so many people are talking about an economic downturn in our, in our uh, immediate future. And, and whether that's uh, an accurate prediction or whether a lot of that is a self-fulfilling prophecy I don't know, but yeah, a lot of companies are, are tightening their belts and so forth and, and of course uh, the guys who want to fish professionally and competitively, uh, they are cannibals, and uh, they eat their own. so whereas uh, a guy like uh, Dave Cranz, who's out there fishing high-level tournaments, is, is competing for sponsorship dollars, there's 10 guys right behind you who will do some of the same work for nothing, right and they're undercutting you. they are undercutting you. Uh, because if they'll go and they'll stand in that booth all day and help set up and take down and stuff like that, that's that's taking some, you know, some budget away from from the guys who are out there on the tournament trail and, and competing at a high level. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's cyclical with the economy. Uh, it, it has also taken a hit from the consolidation within the industry. It's a challenging time, but it's always been a challenging time to be a professional angler. And uh, you show me a professional angler, I'll show you somebody who's made a sketchy career choice. <laughs> it's,
0: I think you got to wear a lot of hats to be successful at it. The ones that have are because they're not just fishing. They're doing other things, and I, I think that's what needs to be done. Um, do you think the bass fishing is uh, as good as ever or about the same?
3: You know, I think that uh, it depends on when you want to compare it. I think if you're comparing it to the 60s and early 70s, I think our fishing is much better. Uh, I think our water quality is much better. Um, if you want to compare it to times even before that, uh, I think it's better because uh, we have more water yeah. now. You know, you look at you look at what this country was when the first Europeans began to settle it hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, there was relatively little bass water. Um the bass was pretty much an, an eastern animal, Mississippi, and, Mississippi River and east. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there were no reservoirs, obviously. So we have a lot more bass water today than we've ever had. We're taking better care of our resources, it seems, than we ever have. Uh, so I, I think there's an excellent argument that, that the glory days of, of fishing itself are as good as they have been. Uh, if I have a, If I have a reservation about that statement it would be this. I think that uh, most states manage their fisheries for numbers. And I get that. Yeah. I think that's, that's valuable. People want to go out and they want to get bites, especially if they're taking young people out to fish. And that's important for license sales and things like that. But I I wish we had uh, more bass fisheries that were focused on, on larger fish and trophies.
0: Yeah. And, and if you did that, um, maybe one of the ways to do that is to, to limit how many, uh, people get to fish those type of waters and that would have to probably include tournament fishermen so that they're left alone so they get bigger
3: yeah i, I would like that you know the tournament fishermen are usually not targeting big fish you know they'll say oh i'm i'm, I'm targeting bigger fish well for a tournament guy a four or five pound fish is a big fish yeah uh and that's not the it's not the kind of fish i'm talking about as a big fish at least not in the the south or even over, over most of the country, I'm talking about fish that are seven or eight pounds and up, right. and that's not really that's not really a, a target zone for a competitive tournament fisherman because they need to get a certain number of bites in a day. They need to bring in a limit, uh, or they're just not going to be in the hunt. Yep,
0: yep. So, no, uh, a lot of good things. That a uh, lot of different tournament circuits out there too. There's some new ones that have popped up, and people are fishing at different levels, but. It, that's is that necessarily a bad thing? That a bad thing for bass? That there's more more circuits or?
3: No, it's it's not. I mean, if you're well, I'll say it's a double edged sword. Um, I'm not happy that the major tournament organizations are focused almost exclusively on competitive fishing. I think fishing is a a much broader uh, activity than that. I don't think you need to be competing to be fishing. And I don't think that's where the focus should be put. I think the major tournament organizations are, are way too focused on that. And I think they've neglected, uh, at this point, a couple of generations of potential anglers who might have participated in the sport and enjoyed it. Uh, but they were led to believe that it was all about competition, all about these $100,000 boats and tens of thousands of dollars in electronics and $500 rods and reels and $50 lures. I think that's... a a grotesque and egregious error. Uh, that's 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 the industry taking careful aim at its foot and then pulling the trigger.
2: Um, now <laughs> yeah. that
3: said, if you if if you're all about tournament fishing and that's that's all you got, if your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Uh, then these other tournament circuits, whether you're talking about lower dollar tournament circuits, whether you're talking about kayaks, whether you're talking about uh, fishing out of a certain brand boat uh, those are great uh, i think that increasing access points for people and opportunities for them to compete against uh, against like-minded individuals that that's wonderful i got i got no issue with that
0: well i always appreciate your uh your insight and your ideas and your thoughts and uh ken i i'm sure it won't be the last time i have you on the we fish asa program uh, thanks for your time as always uh truly appreciate it my friend
3: well, my pleasure, Dave. Anytime you holler at me, I'm, I'm happy.
0: I, opinions, I got plenty. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, no Ken sure. Duke. That was Ken Duke. Thank you, Dave. Yep, that was Ken Duke, editor-in-chief of Fish Insider. I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. We will be right back after these messages. <laughs> Calcutta Outdoors. From bluegill to bluefin, Calcutta Outdoors has the innovative outdoor recreational brands that consumers are looking for. We offer a wide range of trusted products from fishing rods, combos, and tackle to coolers, drinkware, outdoor apparel, and marine accessories. Calcutta Outdoors. Iowa. Our SV system is made with one thing in mind, casting control. The design of the spool as well as how the spool interacts with the braking system gives maximum control and ease of use when it comes to situations people might generally struggle with. Whether it's casting lightweight baits, skipping, pitching, casting into the wind, or even if you're just getting accustomed to a bait casting reel, SV is designed to help you excel. When set properly, SV reels virtually
2: eliminate Backlashes, Daiwa, Saint Croix. Crafting the best rods on earth takes a team effort. It takes a lot of hands to produce a Saint Croix fishing rod, thirty-two to be exact. Every rod we manufacture is carefully crafted, assembled, and tested by passionate professionals who want to ensure you have the best fishing experience possible. Saint Croix, the best rods on earth. <music>
0: Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. My next guest has been on before. I'd like to welcome back Jim Sarek. How are you doing, Jim?
2: Great, Dave. How are you?
0: I am doing good. Uh, I think the last time we talked, we got an update from you on Muskie Hunter TV and everything that was going on in your world. And we're in uh, early November here. It's cold, but that's musky go time, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, it it, it is. But with all this crazy cold weather, with all the temperatures all of a sudden rocketing into the 30s and 40s and snow flying around, it, uh, you know, ice out becomes pretty imminent or ice up rather becomes pretty imminent in a lot of places where it's like, hey, by the end of November, in a lot of areas, it's a lot of a lot of musky waters are going to be frozen or even sooner than that. And you know some areas like Wisconsin. You know you've got seasons that close yeah. from there, but uh, but it's still a great time. I mean, it's you got to battle the elements, but it is a great time to musky fish. There's no question about
0: it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't you give us a, a quick update on uh, on uh, what's going on on Musky Hunter TV? What what's uh, going on in your world there?
1: You know, I think the biggest thing, and it's kind of started last year, is that what I what I did is I kind of switched from doing it was starting in january of this year i switched from doing the traditional television uh you know new episodes 13 week approach to doing about 20 shorter episodes anywhere from two minutes to 20 minutes in length and all of those are available on youtube Uh, still running you know previous episodes on outdoor america which is available throughout the country in a lot of areas so i've got that but really kind of changed to more content, but shorter, uh, keeping a lot of the how to format and doing that and filming in a lot of the places that I historically always do. So, you know, throughout the summer I've been in fall, I've been filming in different areas, and but just creating a lot of content and you can go to YouTube and the Muskie hunter TV channel there on YouTube and watch it all there, uh, for free. And that way everybody can get access to it really is the best thing about it. Or if you don't, you know, if you don't want to go to YouTube, you can go to the musky hunter tv app and get it all there which is a free app and you can see it all there as well
0: yeah it's all uh the social media everything has changed over the years uh speaking of changing how about musky fishing is it is it better is it worse is it about the same what what do you think
1: i mean i think i think that fishing overall musky fishing is you know fishing itself is is probably better than it ever was because you, know, you have catch and release, you've got stocking efforts that have gone on and 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 yeah you know, it's it's just you know conservation minded musky anglers have done a lot to you know keep musky fishing you know good. And, you know, and that's that's really what it is. And and so you've got muskies available in, you know, 35 states or so and in and, and, and multiple provinces throughout Canada. So you you have a lot of opportunities and and because of social media, uh, good or bad, wherever you may fall on that spectrum, you know, people can understand a lot more. Of, opportunities, whether you're going to go, Hey, I'm going to go musky fish in Virginia. Uh, when all the musky, when all the waters are frozen, You you can go to the James river in Virginia and go musky fishing, now, and do it in December and January and February, whereas you know seasons are closed or everything's frozen in the upper midwest, uh, you know from there, and the fishing is great and and the social media has really allowed people to connect and understand about new fisheries to extend their seasons. so heck you can start you know realistically musky fishing in, you, you, yes, you can do it in the winter months, but you could start in March in some of the southern states or whatever and go all the way through December in a lot of other areas and and, and have a pretty extended season. You know, like you as a bass angler can go down south and do all that and, and move throughout different areas. Musky fishermen and musky anglers have those same opportunities, which makes it great, truly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, and it's not only just the Department of Natural Resources in these states that Did this, but the muskie clubs themselves, so many of these clubs and organizations, they do fundraisers, they do things, uh, uh, tournaments, and part of those monies, they they do a lot to stock fish and they work with the departments of Natural Resources to do that. Oh, yeah. I mean... There's there
1: a lot of local muskie clubs. Muskies Incorporated, as an organization throughout the US, has been incredible. And they all help their local Department of Natural Resources and they help with not only help fund stocking efforts, but oh, they need assistance at Boat Ramp, they need assistance with. Uh, some type of tool or piece of equipment that they, you know, that the DNR needs. A lot of the muskie clubs end up raising money to help those natural resource agencies. And in Canada, you've got Muskies Canada, a similar type of strong conservation um you know, movement that goes in there. And Muskies Inc., for an example, they they fund hundreds of thousands of dollars of muskie fishing research and projects all throughout North America every year. They have I think I believe it's called the Hugh Becker Fund and, and they do that. So that really makes fishing you know, it really helps to kinda of ensure the longevity of, of muskie fishing across the board.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is it is it different? You know, you talk Canada, you talk the northern part of the country those fish are covered with ice you know 4 5 6 months out of the year is it different fishing for them or do you think the pressure of these fish down south uh, are going to get harder to catch because they can fish for them 12 months of the year are, are most of those states open that aren't frozen
1: yeah i mean i think it's it's not really a pressure thing i think it's you know you know the reality is in that when you're fishing in december and january much like if you're fishing for the spring, and, and I would say this would go for all species, Dave. And you, you know, I'm sure you you agree that the problem with wintertime fishing uh, anywhere it's the inconsistent weather, right? Yeah. So, you know, just because you're going down to somewhere down south, whether it be Kentucky or Tennessee or Virginia, and you're like, hey, I can musky fish here it should be good. You could get a snowstorm in January or, or a big winds or a big cold front and it can shut you down. And the same thing could happen, bass fishing, even in Texas or anywhere, Florida, right? If you come in, it can be really, really difficult. So, um, Uh, so it's, so the, the weather takes care of itself and ensures that the fishing pressure doesn't really impact it. I think across the board, um, from that and, and, and you still have the massive amount of anglers are in the Northern range, right? They don't, they're not down in those Southern states. I mean, 80% plus of the muskie fishermen are in the upper Midwest, Northeast, and Canada. And so the rest of the U S has 20% of the muskie anglers that exist. So, um, People have to drive. You're talking about if you're you're talking about anglers going down to Tennessee or Kentucky or Virginia or, I don't know, New Mexico, you know, if they wanted to go that far south with those muskies, those areas, you know, you're talking about the bulk of the muskie anglers all having to travel large distances to do that. So that nature doesn't, you know, you don't get a lot of fishing pressure generating those waters from people traveling in.
0: No, no. That makes a lot of sense because you think about over the years when they're, they've they had the orange crops frozen or Texas, Oklahoma gets these ice storms uh, that, that they're locked up for two, three, four days. That cools that water down. And, and yeah, like you said, when you have more weather fronts coming through and there are more cold fronts than summer patterns in the winter, it's still winter. It's still fall. They're still going through the seasons. And that makes a lot of sense that it, it wouldn't be a whole lot of pressure. And 80% of, the uh, I never, actually I don't think i ever heard a number on that, but 80% of the muskie fishermen being in the north, that that makes a lot of sense that that's where the pressure is. Hey, I got to take a quick break for some commercials uh, from our sponsors, and we'll come back uh, with uh, more Jim Sarek from Muskie Hunter TV We Fish ASA Podcast. We'll be right back. I am Dave Kranz. <laughs>
3: For most anglers, the unexpected is expected. But what you can do is take matters into the seat of your, well, shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best in category for technical clothing. Built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry dock for the other guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuable safe for the next adventure. Overboard Shorts from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com
0: slash overboard. For over 75 years here at St. Croix, we believe every angler deserves the best fishing experience possible in being equipped and prepared for the moment opportunity strikes. You can only provide control if you are in control. Our legacy is being written every day with decisions today determining our successes tomorrow. We value contributions and successes of all individuals, protecting and preserving the things that matter most, taking care of people like family, the persistent pursuit of perfection. St. Croix.
2: Daiwa, MagForce Z, similar design to our SV system. Reels with MagForce Z excel when it comes to casting control while fishing bigger, heavier baits. Our standard reels have a fixed rotor on the spool, meaning the braking pressure is consistent across the entirety of the cast. MacForce Z incorporates a spool that has a dynamic rotor that can adjust out and back from the spool. This gives you maximum control and casting precision. Daiwa!
0: Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Kranz. This program is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Welcome back, Jim Sarek.
1: How's it going, Dave?
0: Going good. So. We're in November. There's, Are there some patterns that, I mean, obviously you can drag a sucker, but are there still some patterns that you like to key in on? And sometimes you can get some little bit warmer days. Um, you know, give us a, lo- a few tips on what, what you would do for the ones that aren't ready to put that boat away.
1: Sure. No. First and foremost, and before I get into the, the kind of the technical details of where to do it, is that everybody's got to remain safe. You know, you got to be aware that a lot of times water temps are in the 40s, and you know, or even yeah. you know high 30s when you're fishing. So, like I wear, I have an ice fishing suit, like an ice armor suit that I wear when I'm fishing this time of year because if you know, God forbid you do fall in, you know, you want to be make sure you got something that's going to help you float because you get all those other heavy you know, clothes on and boots. If you're not wearing a life vest or something, um, it's dangerous. So number one, be safe. So when it comes to fishing, here's what I tell people. In what I do when I think about the later part of season, uh, I think about when I'm fishing any of the natural lakes and it could be in the upper Midwest or Northeast, you know, any kind of natural lakes. I imagine the lake being a bathtub and I take and you drain the bathtub, half the water out of the bathtub, visualize that. And and then what's left, the water that's left in that lake or in that bathtub, those are some of the deepest basins and those are that deeper the edges where you're probably going to find muskies because they're going to move deeper in some of the deeper basins, uh, stage adjacent areas where they must, may want to spawn but really some of those deeper break lines or deeper edges, that's where you're going to find them now whether you want to drag suckers you want to cast great big um, soft plastics like medusas or something to do that or uh, cast cranks, you know, awesome alternative, or you control those areas all three techniques work um, but finding them a lot of times is really all around, around fishing deeper break lines, deep breaking shorelines, or, or deeper portions of the basin, that hard bottom to soft end, bottom transition. A lot of those are where you're going to find them in those natural lakes. And, and it's just a, a question of finding how deep they are and establishing that. And you can catch them. But if you get a warming trend, like let's say you get two days where all of a sudden, hey, it's going to be sunny and it might be in the 50s or 40s and it's going to be cold in the afternoon with a warm sun you might get those fish to to move up into the weed edges shallower and some of those lakes even if the weeds aren't green mm-hmm. you know they still might use them and some of those rare days so if you do get an unseasonably warm weather you know pattern they might you might get a shallow movement so that's kind of where i find them in some of those the other thing to fish this time of year if you can are any of the great lakes you know it could be green bay it could be lake erie st Clair any of those and what happens is a lot of the fish are moving and they're staging near uh, incoming creeks or rivers so you'll have those muskies make movements and stage near those areas or move into them if they're deeper and larger and so that's where you'll find fish and if any of these larger river systems in the Great Lakes that you may fish if there's a warm water discharge that's even better because mm-hmm. it's stacked bait and muskies but a lot of in those Great Lakes systems a lot of them you know the fish might move in, in Green Bay towards the Fox River or they might move in near the, in the Detroit River at the mouth of the Detroit River and something like St. Clair you know the, the same thing in portions of lake ontario they move into the st lawrence river so they they move into different portions of them so they just have the current the bait comes in there and the and the muskies follow them in the great lake system and so those are that's a great way to potentially catch a gigantic fish fishing any of those great lake systems as well Uh, and doing that so those are a couple kind of things I think about this time of year about where your last you know last hurrah you're going for the biggest fish um, that you're going to catch they're the heaviest this time of year and the other time I tell people is don't you know pick a handful of spots and spend a lot more time fishing than running in the summertime you can run around and fish a lot of spots. The fish tend to maybe bite throughout the day. You have more feeding windows. But in the fall, the days are shorter, and there might be one or two feeding windows, and it could be related to a moon event, or it could just be as the sun is setting. So you want to spend more time fishing and less time running and, uh, and take advantage of, of a feeding window that might be a half hour long or maybe an hour at the most and, and really take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are are those current fish? Are they easier to figure out where they're at because they set up in the current, or or it, does, is that just more of a fall pattern than the summer pattern on the current fish?
1: Well, no, I mean, they. It, it, you know, when they're moving into the river like that, a lot of times it's just right on the edge of the current. Like it might be, there's they might stage out at the mouth of a river, you know, in the Great Lakes at the mouth, and that's like less of a current thing. Okay. But as they move in the river they might not be in the direct current, but just out of the current slightly. And it could be that there's a little bit of an eddy where you've got maybe a little bit of a bay or or I want to call a cut or a turn in the shoreline, right? That might create a little bit calmer water, but it's still deep, you know, adjacent to the bank where they might move into there or it's a deeper hole and they're on the edge of that where they're just out of the current in the cold. Cold, cold water, and uh, but you know there's current nearby, and they can move move right on that edge, and uh, and you'll find them right on that edge. And so, if you've got some type of flat or an area that's adjacent, you know that's in the river system and the current, it's just out of the current slightly, or just has less current than the main channel. A lot of times, you'll find them on that edge or that break.
0: Excellent, excellent. Do you feel like the Great Lakes or the moving water systems like like that? Uh, The bigger rivers, is that where the next biggest fish is going to come from, or do you, hard to say?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I certainly think the Great Lakes is, If you know, if you say where the biggest muskies come from, it's the Great Lakes, and it's, and or it could be one of the really, really large Canadian lakes, but truly the Great Lakes systems, and it's because it's kind of like what I call the fishbowl effect, right? You, You just have a bigger fish tank, and the Great Lakes have this, they're just gigantic fish tanks, and... And those fish can roam around in portions of the Great Lakes that just, where they're gonna be untouched. And then maybe certain times of year, like really extreme late fall, they might move shallower to feed on, on ciscos or whitefish or shad or something. And then you might have an opportunity to come encounter with the fish that you may never be able to catch in the summer because they're nowhere really related to any structural element potentially.
0: And they have probably an unlimited food source out there. There's so many different things they can eat.
1: Yeah, it's a needle in a haystack. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's when, when, yes, you've got muskies that traditionally use structural elements just like other fish do. But you also have another group of them that roam open water that are more, more akin to being like salmon-like, if you will, right? They're maybe not as deep in the water column, but they're roaming around feeding on open water forage. And there's only a handful of times, really, really early season, like the opener of a musky season where you might get a really, really late spring where they might be recuperating and spawning and still be shallow, where you might have an opportunity, or it's in the final days of season before freeze-up where, where they're adjacent to some of those spawning areas where they typically move to and, and you get a shot at them
0: excellent excellent uh tell the listeners again how they can listen or view your musky hunter tv
1: yeah just go to youtube you know musky hunter tv on youtube is the easiest way to see a bunch of videos and obviously you can follow me on facebook or instagram and and, uh, and find out more information or go to the dot com website all places you can find all the information you need
0: all good places to see the things that Jim can teach you, and you will definitely learn from watching his uh, productions. Appreciate your time as always, Jim, and uh, look forward to talking to again in the future.
1: You bet.
0: Oh, no problem. That was Jim Sarek, Muskie Hunter TV. I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. I would like to thank Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Also, would like to thank St. Croix, the best rods on earth and Iowa, they've got your bass covered thanks to my guest for another great episode of the we fish asa podcast thank you to dan johnson talking about how to use a bait before you give up on it ken duke editor of fish insider i told you he was all things bass fishing he knows this industry inside and out when it comes to bass fishing and you just heard from jim seric the musky hunter himself good job jim well i'm sure we'll catch up with you again soon uh keep catching those big muskies always like the input you give to us here at the We Fish ASA podcast I'm looking forward to bringing you the We Fish ASA podcast next week until then please take someone fishing to help grow our sport and thank you to Joe Booker for the music on this program